This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Ray Hardman. Hi, Elmo. Hi, Big Bird. Oh, what's the matter? Big Bird, Elmo was trying to show what sad looks like. Wow, feelings can sure change quickly, huh? But sometimes these things happen. Oh, I see. Was it a scary thing that your papa told the king? Or a happy thing? Or a sad thing? You see, puppets can talk about anything. Puppets are well-known and loved as aids in helping children acknowledge that they have complex emotions and modeling how to express and process them. That was Elmo and Big Bird on Sesame Street, Bear in the Big Blue House, and Mr. Rogers with King Friday the 13th. With a pandemic disrupting children's lives at school and at home, educators have noticed those emotions were more complex than usual, and kids, like adults these days, needed coping skills. Today, where we live, we hear from the team of experts at UConn who helped develop a puppet-centered program called Feel Your Best Self, and the educators who are putting it to good use, including showing kids how to shake out the yuck. How are you feeling now that you just shook it? Happy. Yeah, I see lots of happy faces. Absolutely. Lots of happy faces. Joining me now to discuss is Sandy Chafulias, co-founder of the Feel Your Best Self Project, a professor with UConn's NEAG School of Education and a trained school psychologist. Welcome, Sandy. Welcome. Thank you very much for having us. Sure. Also joining us, Emily Wicks, co-founder of Feel Your Best Self and manager of operations and collections at the University of Connecticut's Ballard Institute and Museum of Puppetry. Welcome, Emily. Good morning. You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Emily, I want to start with you. you. This all started with your curiosity. Take us back to that initial email to Sandy. What compelled you to reach out? Sure. I mean, during COVID, like so many other organizations, we were trying to figure out how to shift our programming online. We had such a diverse um, a number of in-person puppet building workshops, and we were trying to figure out how we can present these workshops virtually and make them beneficial to all you know the kids in the schools that were um, kind of facing uncertainty. Um, and so my graduate assistant and I started reaching out to professors in uh, UConn School of Education, NEAG School of Education. And we saw research that Sandy and her team were working on looking at these uh, simple wellness strategies. And so we reached out to Sandy to see if there might be a collaboration. And really, that's where Feel Your Best Self was born. Yeah, Sandy, pick it up from there. I'm just so grateful that Emily did that reach out. So as, as she said at the time, we were, we were really worried about the stress that was going to be presented when schools reopened. All the efforts at the time were focused on physical mitigation for good reason. But we knew that after these long school closures, kids were going to come in and adults with a lot of emotions. And we couldn't have complex therapy processes going on in schools for everybody, we needed to have strategies that were really simple that every single person could use and kids could use themselves. And so that's what our team had been working to kind of categorize and and make them fun and get them out there so that people could be ready. Right. 
Emily, let's take a, a step back here and, and let's talk about what this is. This is a ready-made toolkit for teachers and families. It's a series of videos that introduces kids to these three kid puppets. They're so sweet. They're so funny. Um, and they model the coping strategies. Is that right? Yeah, so Feel Your Best Self um, is really wonderful because it's it's very flexible to use. So there are um, 12 strategies, 13 videos total. To inter- um, The first one introduces uh, emotions and feelings and how to talk about them. And then each strategy has a video that's around five minutes. Um, but then along with the videos, there's supplemental materials such as tip sheets for families or guardians to use, a facilitator guide for teachers uh, or caregivers to implement it, um, There are journals and reflection sheets that kids could use to really reflect on what strategies are working for them, which do they like. And then we have activities such as puppet building for the kids to make their own puppet. So it's um, really nice in that it's it's accessible, easy to implement in the classroom, but very flexible. You can use the parts that you want um, and kind of um, implement it into your already existing routines and structures. Um, the videos are already getting attention. They were just nominated for a Kid Screen Award. And Sandy, you said that's like the Oscars for kids programming. Well, that's what I've been told anyway. So <laughs> okay. you know, the best part about this whole project is, you know, Emily and I did, were not set out to be uh, executive producers of award nominated uh, shows. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're super excited to be up there right along with uh, CBS Kids and the Nickelodeons and all the the, the, the big groups in the world and kids programming. Sandy, talk to us about how these videos are told from the perspective of these kid puppets and and why that's so important in this endeavor. Yeah, it was very intentional um, as we were getting started in developing the stories and the scripts to to teach these, these strategies. We wanted to make sure that it wasn't how you're being told how to do something, right? It's about learning how to cope. And each of us learns to use things in different ways. So it was really important to us uh, intentionally to set these scripts up so that there are is very limited adult puppet. It's the three kids really teaching each other and showing each other how they navigate these everyday problems by using these strategies. I was really impressed, Sandy, with the situations that you put the, the kids in so they could have these heavy emotions. I would imagine um, having situations that the kids were involved in um, was important to this so the kids can relate to the video. Yeah, and have those situations look like things that can happen every day in everyday life. Right. right? Things that you might navigate. Yeah. Emily, talk about the Ballard Institute's role in this. Uh, the puppets and the voices are just uh, really, really top-notch. Thank you. Yeah, so the Ballard Institute Museum of Puppetry here at UConn um, you know, has a, a rich history of um, of puppetry and working with the Puppet Arts Program, which is also part of uh, UConn's Dramatic Arts and School of Fine Arts. So when we went to make these videos, um, we, you know, had this wonderful kind of foundation of uh, alumni in the puppet arts, from the puppet arts world. So we were able to collaborate with both students, um, such as graduate assistant Yanni Frank, and um, the voice and puppeteer for CJ, Stoff Shear. But we were also able to reach out to so many alumni of the program. Um, Sarah Nolan, who worked as the creative director, director, producer, so many um, things, uh, really uh, was instrumental in the program. And, you know, the puppets were built by a puppet arts alumni, um, uh, John Cody. 
So working with those kind of those students and alumni was great for us because we really had all these experts that could help us create these videos. And I think they really made us expand our imagination of what these videos could be and just made them turn out um, so much more amazing and dynamic than we ever imagined. Sandy, I loved Turn the Dial, this this whole thing where the kids get into a tough situation and they kind of flip the script. Tell me about uh, Turn the Dial. Oh, turn the dial is a fun one for us on our team too. As we as we navigate our own challenges through the project, we oftentimes stop and say, maybe we need to turn the dial and think about. It's a way of of shifting your thoughts, how you're perceiving um, a situation, and not necessarily saying, "Hey, that's a good bad, or bad way," but maybe we just need to shift our perspective. You have a bunch of oh, story. Yeah, and you have a bunch of these. You got Shake Out the Yuck, which we talked about. Belly Breathing was a good one. How did you develop these? That So we sat with a map, actually. So going back to that uh, original point that when we knew when schools were coming back and families were, were trying to get their kids ready to come back to school, whatever we, we needed could be something that was in your back pocket, something that could be really easy to use. So we took a look at the literature and the evidence uh, within this kind of category of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And we started mapping out and taking all of the individual strategies that we thought could be very simple. So taught in three or so steps and um, again, had evidence behind them and could be packaged really fun. Like you said, shake out the yuck or turn the dial. Those are cool names. Yeah, absolutely. Emily, uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, the ch- part of the, the curriculum for students is to make their own puppets. Tell me uh, how that works within this program. Why, why is that important? Yeah, so there's such, you know, uh, a rich history of using puppetry in education and therapy. And actually, we just um, put up on our website a whole review of evidence behind using puppetry in the classroom. Um, And so, you know, when we were creating this, we didn't want the uh, puppetry experience to just stop at the videos. You know, um, we often see puppets on TVs and movies, but we loved the element of now giving the kids a puppet so that they could learn how to use it, but also um, really use it thoughtfully um, with the strategies, because puppets are a way that, you know, students can have a voice if they might be scared to talk about something. It also can make them um, understand perspectives of others a little bit more, so they might be more empathetic. Um, it's, you know, and it's it's fun. You can't help but make a puppet or put a puppet on your hand and not smile. And so, you know, you heard it at the, at the beginning of the show with the kids um, at Natchog School. They're having a good time, and that itself helps shift emotions if you're feeling a little heavy. So with this project, we have um, a puppet building guide on our website, and we have a suggested kit that people could use, but we also all offer different alternatives so that it can be as accessible and um, cost-efficient as possible. Emily, going back to the videos, I mean, why why is it that puppets seem to provide this this seamless vehicle for for kids voices i think you know when you put a puppet on your hand it's no longer you necessarily talking Mm. it is the puppet and i think kids often relate to those kind of more engaging and friendly faces that they see on tv Um, you often hear parents talking about how you know a, a child might be quiet or shy but the moment that they see you know a puppet they open up a little bit more and their face lights up and so i think you know puppets allow um kids to engage in different ways and with this project 
I think as Sandy was mentioning, you know, adults could tell a kid to belly breathe or shake out the yuck, but having a puppet kid show you how they're doing it is modeling. And it kind of allows the kids to identify with those puppet kids a little bit more and maybe want to engage and try it themselves. Uh, Sandy Chifulius, uh, this was piloted in Wyndham, the project, but what are your hopes for this program? And are you hearing from other districts? Absolutely hearing from other districts. And, um, you know, we, we thank Wyndham very much for piloting with us way back in the very beginning before we even had these cool videos and all of the pieces to it. But we have been working with um, districts throughout Connecticut and, and throughout the nation um, in terms of providing technical assistance and getting more and more resources up on the website so that people can do this on their own. You don't need us to do it. Um, you can use the things that we've created and do it. And tell me about how families can get involved. Yeah, so we've had, it's really been interesting because our original focus was on the whole classroom, kind of, again, this whole school coming back into into schools. But what we found is that um, because there is flexibility in how people are using it, we're seeing lots of different ways. Um, So it could be even with an individual student, say a school psychologist is working um, Um, on their own uh, behavior support plans or a support plan, they might take a couple of these strategies or the videos and and use that to supplement what they're trying to teach. With families, we found, and and in early childhood settings, we found um, great opportunities to connect um, in bringing families into the, as as partners in, in supporting the teaching and learning of these strategies. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Ray Hardman. Sandy Chifuli is an Emily Wicks Feel Your Best Self program co-founder. Stay with us. Coming up, we'll hear from local teachers and family educators about how these kid puppets help their students process tough emotions. You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Fly away and let your brain really get some rest. Now you'll see It's easy when you do it just like me Every day You feel a million things But I promise that it all will be okay Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. A lot of people struggle with sleep apnea and with CPAP machines. Dr. Carl Muller, a head and neck surgeon with Hartford Hospital, describes Inspire, a surgical alternative to the CPAP approach. Only about 60% of patients can tolerate CPAP real well. Inspire is a surgical alternative to CPAP. It's an outpatient surgery. It takes about two hours. And essentially what it does is it picks up when you're taking a breath and sends a two-second electrical pulse to the tongue, which causes the tongue to stick out a little bit and stiffen and prevent the airway from collapsing. Hartford Hospital has performed more than 200 Inspire therapy surgeries. If you've tried and failed with CPAP, you could be a candidate for this minimally invasive procedure. Patients with moderate to severe sleep apnea are candidates. There is a weight criteria, so you have to have a body mass index below 35, and you have to have to have tried and failed CPAP. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Ray Hardman. This hour, we're spotlighting a puppet-centered program developed by a team of Connecticut experts aimed at helping kids strengthen their emotional well-being. I feel so mad and so sad. 
I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, I think I know something you could try. You do? Yes. What? It's called belly breathing. Belly breathing? Yes, belly breathing. It's what I do when my feelings are heavy. Like if I'm scared to try something new, it helps me feel my best self. Well, how can I do it? Watch this. That was Kid Puppets Nico and CJ modeling belly breathing, one of about a dozen coping strategies for kids offered in the Feel Your Best Self program. Resources are offered in English and Spanish for teachers, family educators, parents, and anyone with a little loved one in their life. Joining us now to discuss how this took off in her own classroom is Jimena Marin. She's a third grade teacher at Nachog Elementary in Wyndham. You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Jimena, welcome to Where We Live. Tell me a little bit about your third graders. Yes, so I teach third grade in a bilingual classroom in Wyndham. Um, my class is uh, composed of 20 students, um, ranging from uh, parents coming from Mexico, Guatemala, Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. And about what percentage of your class are Spanish speakers? Um, all of them. Oh, everyone. Um, yeah. It is a bilingual classroom. We are all um, they're all classified as ELO learners. So, uh, tell tell me how they responded to this program. Yeah. Um, the first time they they told me about the program, I was really excited just because um, it was in Spanish, and there's like a couple of resources in Spanish out there for social emotional. However, I'm always trying to look for some ideas and other resources out there. So I was very excited. Um, when we were actually able to practice them in the classroom, it was it was great. The kids loved it. Um, obviously, they had a visual component. And that's very important. I believe in a, in a yellow classroom just because the range of Spanish and English varies within. And another reason why, why they respond very well, I think, is they incorporated Due to the puppets, um, a lot of movement, and I saw that um, students respond very, very well to that. Did you notice, you know, because of the pandemic or for whatever reason, you know, these kids were, you know, having um, moments where they weren't able to, you know, deal with their emotions before before yeah, the program? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we we actually, as a district, uh, focused the year after we came back from the pandemic. Um, more, more of a social emotional curriculum, and we emphasize that because, as you mentioned, after the pandemic, there was a lot of emotions, a lot of um, stuff that kids came through, um, maybe even some trauma, some things that they want to discuss, and became very difficult and translated into the classroom. And so, having that social emotional aspect in it and prioritizing it really helped us in other academic goals that we had in the classroom. Mm hmm. Um, what were some of the coping strategies that seemed to resonate with your students and that are still with them, that stuck with them? Yeah. Three of them that really come to mind are belly breathing. Mm -hmm. um, just that because they, they, they seen it before in a way, but they were actually, you know, go through the steps of belly breathing. Um, shake out the, the yuck was another one that really, really stuck out with my students. And I believe the three wishes. I have this year a very creative classroom that loves mm -hmm. to draw and write. So writing down three wishes for somebody to care about um, was one that really, really stuck with them. Oh, that's awesome. Um, did they build their own puppets as well? Yes, they did. It was a really unique and fun process to see them um, build it and be able to make it their own and very like customize it and, and feel ownership of that puppet 
and, and that translated when they did the activity because they were able to get into character and into the puppet. Yeah. How long ago did you start uh, with the Feel Your Best Self videos? Feel Your Best Self. I want to believe it was maybe around October or November when we started. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed um, a difference? I, I have. Um, feeling overwhelmed, feeling frustrated, you know, having a math, difficult math problem is always something um, students feel at times, and we, we constantly go back and reflect on the strategies that we have learned, and um, and we are able to practice them, and they know them right away. That's awesome. NPR's Corey Turner visited Wyndham to preview the program, and he said that in his years of reporting in the classroom, he's never seen the kids more joyful. Why do you think this program was unique? I believe this program was very unique um, because it incorporated a lot of aspects that maybe in a way are missing in the education system. Like visuals, we can never um, have programs and curriculums that that um, prioritize visuals, especially in, in a bilingual classroom. Like I mentioned, movement. Um, they were able to move their hands. They're able to, to move their bodies. And that's something that, that kids at an elementary level always love to do. And just the videos in itself, they had... Um, like activities or what they were going through, very relatable to the students. So they were able to understand and hey, like, hey, that has happened to me before. And and it it worked really well. They 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 loved them and I personally loved it as well. Yeah. You know, I was curious, I was, you know, thinking that maybe perhaps given we were talking about the pandemic earlier, maybe given the pandemic, this was the right time for this. This was the the perfect opportunity to work with kids, help them identify an emotion, and then a way to cope with that emotion. Did you feel that? Yeah, I I certainly feel that um, coping with with any sorts of emotion is something that maybe even uh, us as adults um, sometimes struggle with. So just having a lot of strategies for them to be able to have and, and, and practice um, gave gave everybody a, a wide variety of options. Mm-hmm. Will you be doing this again next year when you get a fresh, fresh new set of third graders? Yeah, I, I would love to do a, a, another set of this with with new students. You know, like, like mentioned, it's important for them to to have an opportunity and a place to be able to practice this, and and it's very important. Um, coping with emotions is is I believe a very important part of my of my classroom, and I saw the the benefits of it. So I would definitely would love to continue doing this. Jimena Marin, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much. Jimena Marin is a third grade teacher at Notchog Elementary in Wyndham. Still with us, uh, Sandy Chifuli is co-founder of Feel Your Best Self, a professor with UConn's NEAG School of Education and a trained school psychologist, as well as Emily Wicks. She's also the other co-creator of Feel Your Best Self, and she's manager of operations and collections at the University of Connecticut's Ballard Institute and Museum of Puppetry. Sandy, NPR's Corey Turner visited several classrooms at Notchog Elementary, including a first grade grade class taught by Letitia DeNoya. We heard her and her students shake out the yuck earlier in this hour. Letitia described the unique social and emotional needs she noticed in getting back into the classroom. Let's take a listen to that sharing and learning how to take turns and learning how to deal with disappointment. And there's just things that they missed out on with not having that socialization. And so we need to find a place to teach it at school too. Yeah. Sandy, can you talk about how 
you know, what might be referred to as pandemic learning loss, you know, just really got compounded with this social and emotional element. And it really made it complicated for teachers, you know, who are, you know, trying to teach a curriculum here. I think you basically hit the nail on the head. You know, we came back and expected to see, or the focus was uh, on this academic space and how far behind or how much catch up was going to need to happen on the academic side. But if you think about it, uh, the same things happened for social, emotional, and behavioral skills. We have kindergartners who didn't have preschool experiences coming in. We had students that had never been exposed to being able to practice or learn how to take turns, open the door for each other, um, share a toy. So, you know, we had to, we're, we're now paying much more attention, I think, or at least that's what I see um, uh, going on around the country and with um, some of the priorities that um, states and federal agencies are, are putting into the social emotional space. You're not going to get the academic gains that you want unless we've looked at the whole child and the development across all of the different spaces that we need. Right. And we do have a little bit of information from the State Department of Education that said uh, in a recent assessment released in August, there has been some improvement on student achievement despite lingering lags. Um, Sandy, you're also working with the state's Family Engagement Resource Center to help bridge the divide between the home and classroom. And we heard from Veronica Marion, who is the center's manager of Connecticut Family School Partnerships. Let's take a listen. When we were introduced to this program, it was like a win-win because we see the numbers currently in regards to social, emotional learning it's off the charts. Students are really in the need of something. And so when we uh, met the team at UConn and they introduced the puppets to us, children will talk more. They will open up more. Just the fact that there's a distraction, right? Just the fact that there's something else that they're focusing on. Uh, this is a question for Emily. Um, Veronica said districts are already thinking about how they might adapt this to an after-school program teacher trainings, and so much more. Um, Emily, can you talk about how adaptability is a major strength of this program? Yes, that was something that we had in mind from the beginning. Um, we didn't want it to be necessarily a, a structured curriculum where you had to follow you know, steps one, two, and three. Um, we wanted it to make it so that people can adapt it into their different spaces, whether it be in the classroom, at home, or after school. So what's um, so helpful about this program is that you really do have these individual parts, but there are also you know, facilitator guides and uh, tip sheets that you can use to kind of help you figure out the best way to implement it in your space. Mm -hmm. Why was ensuring this program uh, was bilingual? Why was that critical? I think you heard it with with Jimena, mm -hmm. um, you know, her class and um, so many classes in uh, Connecticut and nationwide are bilingual or have, you know, a high percentage of Spanish speakers. And so for us, we want to make this material as accessible as possible. And part of that was having it both in English and Spanish. And it's really wonderful, I think, for us to, you know, to be able to um, implement it in two classrooms and, and in Natchog um, to see the videos in Spanish and the kids laugh and engage with it. But then to also um, see our videos finally in Spanish and have the same reaction uh, is just really heartwarming that we're able to reach such a larger audience by having them bilingual. 
Sandy Chafuli is a cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is core to this program. Um, maybe you can explain what CBT is. Sure. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the tenets of everything we've been talking about today is, is really what are we trying to accomplish when we use CBT? And that is about emotion regulation. Um, and so when we talk about emotion regulation, it's really important to first start by saying it's not that you're trying to control yourself or control your emotions or that any particular emotion is necessarily good or bad. It's that we need to build awareness of our emotions and specifically the intensity of those emotions and the triggers to those emotions. So, you know, maybe sometimes we jump to conclusions too quickly or we see something as catastrophic or we have those really tight knots in our belly. So CBT is a technique that is often talked about as this triangle of thoughts, behaviors, and feelings. And in a triangle, all of those parts are connected. So what we do, the behaviors, can affect how you think and you feel and how you feel can show up in lots of places in your body. So what we're trying to do in CBT is bring awareness to this, especially those thoughts and how unhelpful thoughts might impact the other parts, and then make sure that people have positive coping strategies to help them adjust that triangle to feel their best self. And so feel your best self is really all about the those emotion-focused coping strategies that we have grouped into uh, fun categories that are really accessible called catching your feelings, calm yourself, and connect with others. Let's put this into some practical use here, and let's use shake out, uh, shake out the yucks as an example. Tell, tell me what's, what's happening and what shake out the yucks will do. Sure. So sh- shake out the yuck is, is one of the strategies that we put under the calm yourself category. And it's a very physiological um, focusing on the behaviors. So think about it, just even the word shake out the yuck sounds mm-hmm. like you're going to do something, right? <laughs> right. So you're, you're, you're feeling something in your body um, and you want to get those yucks or they're, they're stuck all over you and you want to get them off. So you figure out your, your fancy way to shake them off. It could be silly. It could be fun. It could be more quiet, however you want to do it. But it's a physiological uh, behavior um, that you're working on to, again, adjust that triangle. There's another strategy in the calm yourself um, category called chillax in my head, for example, that focuses on changing your thoughts by distracting yourself. Think of, you know, chillaxing by going to your your special place, like maybe it's some sunshine right now Mm. for you. So you're distracting your thoughts, which then helps you relax, change your body the way you're feeling. So the, 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 Strategies act in different ways, um, even though they're in the same category. And the, the point of the program is really to figure out that some of us work better with physiological, you know, like moving ones. Some of us might think I'll work better with more mindful or thought-based strategies. So you have to try them out and figure out what works for you in different situations. Do you find that, you know, it might be more difficult in a way for adults to kind of comprehend this. They might be a little bit more skeptical and children seem to be a little bit more open-minded about trying these tactics. So I think that's really funny because yes, I would have predicted that if you'd asked me a while ago, but if, but now that we're getting into the program, we often hear things like people can immediately think about what shake out the yuck could look like, right? (laughs) Right, right. Maybe, maybe the, maybe, a you know, my dean isn't going to go around um, shaking out the yuck in, in his big board meetings, <laughs> but he certainly knows about it and he's thinking about it. 
And what we have been hearing more and more as we're going around doing different workshops and to different conferences and sharing information is adults stopping and saying, boy, I wish I had this when I was in elementary school. Boy, I wish I had known about this. Or, hey, I work with um, um, patients in geriatric settings. These would be These strategies would be really helpful. So the key piece is that these strategies that we've picked are lifelong. We've just made them kind of fun uh, with cool titles, right? Or catchy titles, I think, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, for kids to, to latch on to. But the adults can benefit just as much. Absolutely. And and even the the part about identifying your own emotions. Definitely. Which, which... Um, and that's why we have that introductory video, really, is some people have been working in, on identifying emotions for a long time. They're very easily able to do it, but others aren't. So we have that one introductory space to, to kind of get this idea set about what are emotions. It's not that they're good or bad. Again, we we frame them in, in our project as, as either heavy, like when you're just feeling too heavy or feeling light. And we use like, like a feelings forecast or a weather analogy to help explain that. Right. Uh, I do want to mention that there is more information on the Feel Your Best Self program on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live. Uh, Emily, I want to get you into the conversation here and more about the magic of puppetry. First, have you found that puppets are also helpful in working with kids with emotional disorders or developmental disabilities, not necessarily within the Feel Your Best Self program? Yes, um, puppetry really, um, as I mentioned, has such a, a role in kind of um, therapy and educational situations. So especially um, with students uh, with disabilities, puppetry can really benefit their learning. Um, you know, it, it can be ad adapted um, to different um, ability levels and cognitive ability levels within schools. Um, and it can also be used to model, you know, um, different uh, the strategies, but also, you know, what um, what behavioral skills are expected. So we often um, see that students also who maybe struggle to um, voice their own thoughts or feelings um, can do that when they have a puppet. And I can't tell you the number of parents that, you know, contact me, especially when their kids watch puppets on television, thinking Sesame Street, that, you know, maybe they're... Um, they have some kind of behavioral disability, but with those puppets, they really engage and learn in a way that that their parents haven't seen before. And so puppetry really just makes these kind of emotional and social skills much more, um, I think, available and and engaging with kids, um, you know, of of all abilities. Yeah. And I was wondering, too, whether puppets uh, can kind of help with the hard conversations that you sometimes have to have with children, like around death. Yes. Um, you know, and I think we've seen that with other, um, you know, puppet projects um, such, such as Sesame Street. And I think, you know, when we go into classrooms with these puppets and we're asking, how are you feeling? How is your puppet feeling? Sometimes kids share really difficult situations and often it does revolve around a death of a family member. And with the puppets, they might feel a little bit more comfortable talking about that situation um, and their, and those kind of tough feelings that they're, that they're experiencing. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Ray Hardman. Sandy Chifuli is co-founder of Feel Your Best Self, professor with UConn's NEAG School of Education and trained school psychologist. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. 
Emily Wick, stick around. After a break, we'll spotlight UConn's puppetry program. You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. slavery in the U.S., we don't usually think of Connecticut, but slavery happened here. The probate inventory mentions three cows, two barns, one enslaved Negro woman, and one Indian boy. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. Connecticut's own Jacques Pepin is a culinary icon. When you make a contribution to Connecticut Public today, you can experience a once-in-a-lifetime dinner with the acclaimed PBS chef and author on Monday, May 6th at the gorgeous Oceanfront Madison Beach Hotel in Madison, Connecticut. Sponsored by Isana Plastic Surgery Center and Med Spa and Fuchs Financial. For tickets, visit ctpublic.org Pepin. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Ray Hardman. Listeners may be surprised to know that Connecticut is home to a renowned puppet arts program, a mecca, really. Back with us to discuss is Emily Wicks, Manager of Operations and Collections at the University of Connecticut's Ballard Institute and Museum of Puppetry. You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Emily, I said a mecca. How did the University of Connecticut become so important to the world of puppetry? Sure. So um, UConn is the only uh, university of its kind in the country that has a puppet arts program where you can get a BFA, um, an MA, or an MFA. And in fact, you can also now get an online certificate or a minor in puppet arts at UConn. And this program was created um, by the Ballard Institute's namesake, Frank Ballard. Um, he started the program in 1965 at UConn. And, uh, you know, students have been coming here from all around the world since then to study puppet arts. Uh, a lot of distinguished alumni, I would imagine. Yes, we have students that um, go on to work in all areas of performance, design, and fabrication, and appear in you know internationally recognized projects in television, film, um, you know, uh, designing toys, working in animatronics, um, teaching, um, and you know some alumni have gone on to work with projects um, you know that are so well known, such as Sesame Street. Uh, puppetry is one of those arts that kind of reminds me of opera in that it kind of also envelops in lots of other different art forms. Um, is that what drew you to puppetry originally? Yeah, so I actually um, have a background in history mm -hmm. and uh, library science, so I wasn't even really in the puppetry world. But what I've loved working here um, with our director, John Bell, and um, with dramatic arts within the School of Fine Arts is that um, you're exactly right. Puppet arts and puppetry really um, is encompasses um, not only kind of, you know, television puppetry, which so many people think of, but so many different material performance and object performance elements. And what's so wonderful about being at the University of Connecticut is that we are able to really show the interdisciplinary um, art form, you know, collaborating with dramatic arts, with music, uh, with digital media and design, and so many other programs to show that puppetry is really in all aspects of the world. 
How many students do you have? It really varies um, in the puppet arts program. As I mentioned, there's both undergraduate and graduate students. And I would say that the total number of students ranges. Um, usually it might be between 15 and 20 total. Mm-hmm. Can someone minor in puppetry? Yes. I, they recently created a minor in puppet arts. Um, so if they're studying something else, uh, they can also kind of get that minor in puppetry. And that's really um, amazing to see. You know, in the past, we've had students um, who are, are business majors, you know, then switch to puppet arts um, because of kind of that they they love the creativity and the art form. So it's amazing to really see through the classes Um Especially, you know, there's a John Bell teaches a world, an intro to world puppetry that's open to non-majors. And to see the students really engage with the art form um, is is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. And for people who don't know, I mean, puppetry is a very old art form um, and it's intended for way more than what we probably think of it here in the United States. Yes. I mean, it has such a rich global history, and that's really what we try to highlight here at the Ballard Institute. So in our permanent display, we really show the the world of puppetry, Um, you know, ranging from shadow puppetry, which is really one of the oldest art forms, you know, that you can see in prehistoric times, um, up to present day puppetry. Um, But really, you you see it in all aspects of, of life. Um, it's not just television puppetry, but you see it in theater um, and you also see it in, with technology as well. Um, and what the students are able to create here, um, especially through collaborations with other departments such as engineering or digital media, is is quite amazing. Emily, you have a puppet collection uh, of over 3,500 puppets. What, what's the oldest puppet you have in the collection? Oh wow! Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure if I could answer that with certainty. Okay. Um, I would say that some of our oldest puppets um, are from the 18th century. Mm-hmm. We uh, have definitely some, um, you know, hand puppets from Europe, and then we might have even um, some older uh, shadow puppets from Asia. But I would have to double check on that. That's amazing. So you've got you've got the museum, you've got the puppet arts program with UConn, and it all happens in the puppet arts complex. Is that right? So, yeah, the students study over at the puppet arts complex, which is at uh, UConn's depot campus. Mm-hmm. The Ballard Institute and Museum of Puppetry in 2014 moved from the depot campus to the downtown stores area, which has been really amazing in kind of increasing our reach and, um, you know, inviting more people into our space. It's so accessible being in this downtown location and really opens us up for even more amazing communi- uh, community collaborations. Gotcha. Gotcha. So tell me about the Puppet Arts Complex. The Puppet Arts Complex is a, is a quite magical space, I would say, with, where the students are able to study. So that is where the students are creating their works, either for their personal projects or for projects um, for school. And that is where they're taking their puppet arts classes. So movement, performance, building. Um, and like I said, that's all over at Depot Campus. So if if um, someone were to want to join the program and take some classes, they would get to check out that space. And you need a lot of space because there's lots of times really humongous puppets out there. Yes. Yes. Um, They often are making oversized, large-scale puppets, especially for the Connecticut Repertory Theater productions and other productions that they're a part of. Mm -hmm. What? Tell me, what is, you know, kind of on the cutting edge of puppetry these days? Is there trends? Is it like the rest of the art world where you have trends, things that people are kind of uh, interested in at that particular moment in time? 
I think with students coming in, um, you're seeing a lot of them really interested in the aspects of, of building um, and kind of where I see that going um, has been, you know, within the performance um, space, kind of more tabletop puppetry where they're manipulating it, um, you know, on a, on a stage or on a table. Um, but then I think even more so you're seeing a lot of students interested in kind of the animatronics and mechanisms that can be used um, in kind of uh, automata or, you know, animatronic objects that you might see, for example, at um, an amusement park. Um, so a lot of students will go on to work with companies that are creating those types of um, figures that you see when you go, you know, to an amusement park or, um, you know, that a business, a business or organization might use in their space. So that's an interesting place where you're seeing a combination of technology mm -hmm. with puppetry. And I was also curious, I mean, what makes what makes a really good puppeteer? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I think what always continues to amaze me about the students that I work with is just their their creativity. Um, and, and in fact, you know, I think what we were talking about with Feel Your Best Self, where people put on a puppet and can kind of create their own voice and become someone new, you see that often with puppeteers. You know, um, while they are acting, puppetry is very interesting because, you know, you're giving life to this object. So you want someone, you know, who can really um, think about the movement of the object and creating the voice um, for that character and, um, you know, the creativity and kind of just skills that the students continue to show in this program are um, quite amazing. So they have to have a good voice and they have to really make the animation of the puppet uh, seem seamless. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about it, a, a puppet is an object and, and especially in the museum world, it's always interesting because these, these objects are static. They're sitting, you know, on a pedestal and that's not exactly how they're meant to be used. Uh, and, you know, in puppetry, it's really about giving that object breath and life. Um, and so it, you know, and I think helping people to suspend a little bit of their reality um, by when you're watching a puppet show, maybe you no longer see the puppeteer. The object is now the thing that is performing. And um, I'm always amazed kind of how how easily that happens when you're watching a puppet show. Yeah. Tell, tell me about UConn's place in the world of puppetry. I know you've hosted, uh, you know, national, international conferences for, for puppetry. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, you, the Yukon Puppet Arts Program really is one of a kind um, in, in this country and it is world renowned. So we do have students coming from all over the world to study. And um, with that, we really do try to kind of collaborate and uh, with, you know, um, puppetry organizations around the world. So we've hosted international conferences. In 2015, we hosted the, na the um, National Puppetry Festival, um, which, you know, had um, hundreds of people come to uh, here at UConn. And so it's really important that, you know, with our role um, in educating future puppeteers, that we really kind of stay connected to the larger world of puppetry. Let's get back to the uh, museum aspect of this, because just like any museum, you have exhibitions there. Um, I uh, reported recently on the Maurice Sendak exhibition from last fall. That was so yeah. amazing. But this is like, you know, a regular museum. Yeah. So the Ballard Institute Museum of Puppetry is open open year round. We are closed right now because we did just deinstall the um, Maurice Sendak and World of Puppetry exhibition, which was, um, uh, you know, so amazingly successful. And an example of an exhibition that might not seem like puppetry, you know, Maurice Sendak is a beloved 
author and illustrator. But, you know, part of our mission here is to really broaden the idea of puppetry. And so we were able to show how so much of his work was tied to the world of puppetry. Right now, we're um, about to install our brand new exhibition titled Myths, Legends, and Spectacle, Masks and Puppets of Ralph Lee, who is an artist um, based in New York. And is um the, was is the founder of Medawee River Theater Company and really creates um you know wide ranging theater productions but focuses especially on kind of masks and giant figures and so it'll be exciting to kind of see his objects fill our space and that will be opening on January twenty sixth we'll have an opening reception uh, at five thirty p.m. Well, Emily Wicks, thanks so much. Thank you. Emily Wicks is Manager of Operations and Collections at the University of Connecticut's Ballard Institute and Museum of Puppetry. I'm Ray Hartman. Today's show was produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thanks for listening. It's great to be here. But I promise that it all will be okay I'll think of you and what you do You will find your way Feel your best self every single day Every day Every day